0: We're starting right from the bottom of bottom line here Gemara now says yesterday we learned about a dispute between Rameir and the rabbanan the dispute was regarding a slave and a wife where the halacha is things that they find, things that they earn automatically goes to their master and husband but the question is could they theoretically have an independent hand to acquire uh, things for themselves in the sense that let's say in one perspective somebody gives them cash on condition that the master doesn't get it that would be one case where they would argue or we learned a different case yesterday where they might argue where the money is given to them for a specific purpose whereas it's not given to them to do whatever they want with it let's say somebody gave money to the master to, to the slave rather specifically for the rights that he's going to use it to free himself not for other senses so that might be mach machlokas. in those cases where mayor still says they don't have an independent hand at all so any stipulation any conditions that are made are totally null and void Um, And it's just a regular thing that the master gets. Whereas the Ravonians say, no, they could theoretically establish for themselves an independent hand. And where was it so relevant yesterday? It was relevant yesterday if they want to be using the cash to redeem themselves. So in other words, the, the slave wants to pay for his own freedom. And the question is, if someone else gives him cash for that purpose, would it be effective? Or do I just say, automatically, that's the master's cash and we're going around in circles. So the Gemara now knows that there's an inconsistency in the Machloka premier and Rabbanu from another place. The Tanya says in the price. So, and Haftalmeralv, a little introduction here to what we're talking about. We're talking about Meiser Sheni. Meiser Sheni, which is taken up to Yerushalayim in the years one, two, four, and five after you take off one tithe for the leaf, you take off a second tithe. The second tenth, you take up and you eat the fruits in Yerushalayim in somewhat of a holy sense. And if the fruits are too heavy, so you're poded the money, you're redeeming on the money, then you take up, transfer the money up to Yerushalayim and then... You spend the money you should on some food things. So the halacha is that when a person is at their own maizur sheni, we learn from the Torah that they have to add an additional fifth. It's like a surcharge, you know, an extra the value of the fruits that you're redeeming plus a fifth, and you take up that value. Whereas when you're redeeming fruits for somebody else, that the, that extra fifth is weight wa- is waived. You don't have to. So what we're talking about here is a, a context of a wife who is being poded the maizur sheni. So it says in the bride saw, each below chomesh. a woman doesn't redeem maizur sheni without. Adding without adding a fifth. So the paschab shad is she's redeeming her husband's maizersheini and she's adding a fifth. Why? Because she's one with her husband. It's basically no different than when a person is taking off his own for his own maizer, and it, it does have the, the the surcharge of the extra fifth. Rulazar <speaking> quotes in the name of her Isha below A woman redeems her maizersheini without adding a fifth. He's basically saying the sheni is not hers so it's not equal, it doesn't fall into that that, pasuk that says from your own that you add a fifth therefore she doesn't so now we have to figure out what what is exactly the case before we get to our contradiction hey what is the case of the wife being put to maestro bizuze if you say that the case refers to if you say that the case refers to where she's using her money But her husband's my sir. So the Gemara assumes that that doesn't make sense. And when we say her money, what would her money mean? We mean her (laughs) nixi maluk. Nixi Malug are the property that she owned before the marriage. So when she comes into the marriage, she retains the ownership of the property herself and the husband has the rights to do that. So in that case, we would understand that certainly she has her own money. That's not what we're talking about here. Here it's money that she owned from before the marriage. So certainly she, she, she owns that. So if we say it's talking about her own money and she's using her own money to redeem her husband's miser, ish amarachman of Eloisha. When the Torah speaks about a fifth being added, the Torah says uh, specifically the lu'shan of ish. It says in go so it says, That implies not a woman who's being poda, her husband's miser. In other words, what's the point of the Torah saying ish? We understand that the point is that in, in regard to her being poda, her, her husband's miser, Shaney, a woman is no different than any other non-owner. So if so then we assume that, that there's no, it, uh, every, everyone would agree she doesn't add a fifth, because that's not much what the Torah went out of its way to write, that it's only when the husband himself is both dead that he adds a fifth. For Loisha, not a wife, using her money to redeem his stuff. So It must be in such a case. Someone else gave a mana to the wife, and he said to her that the money's been given on condition that you redeem the miser of your husband with it, and you won't have to add a fifth. So basically, we're saying like this. In this scenario, the question is, who's gonna own the money? If it would clearly be her own money, like the previous one, like money she owned before the marriage, if we don't question it, she wouldn't add a fifth. But here, someone gave her the money while she is married, when anything she gets goes directly to her husband, but someone gave it to her on condition that it should be used specifically to be pulled to the maestro and not add a fifth. So the Tanakama is saying that, well, that the condition is null and void. So when the condition is null and void, any new thing that comes to the wife during marriage automatically becomes the husband's. So it's basically the husband's money, The husband's miser happens to be that the action is performed by the wife. That doesn't make a difference. It's the husband's money, so you have to add a fifth. As other opinion, mayor he holds that the condition that's made is totally effective. So therefore, it's considered the woman's money being paid the husband's my And if it's a woman's money being used to be the the, the, the miser of the husband, then she does not have to add a fifth. So what's the kasha The cash is l'ahu. here. We have learned the exact opposite. By us, we learned that Rameyer holds that a condition that's made to the wife is null and void. If someone gave money. To the, to the slave and said, al-minas, that you're going to use it for your freedom. Or mayor was the one who said that's null and void. It goes directly to the master. The Rabbanon were the ones who said that it is good and you could use it. So here we're going mamish the opposite. Here we're saying that it's the Rabbanon who say that the condition is null and void and and, and, and she has to add a fifth. And Mishra Malazar is saying it's not null and void and she doesn't have to add a fifth. So it's a contradiction. So I'm rabbi, you flip around the opinions in the bride saw. So, that works. So, it's going to flip around that the that we have to say, you don't add a fit, because it goes directly to the, because to the, the, it, 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 the condition is, is not void, rather. The condition is valid. It's considered the wife's money. Our mayor is the one who says it's null and void. It's the husband's money, and therefore you add a fit. Says the Gemara, another revolution, we prefer not to do that. Let's not flip around the opinions. What's the case over here? What's the kind of miser? Until now, we've been assuming, clearly, it was the husband's miser, which is trying to figure out if the wife was using her money or his money. It explains the Gemara no, the miser itself was an inheritance that came to the woman from her father's house so her father died and left her an inheritance and some of what was there was Meiser Shani so whenever a married woman inherits something the Halacha is that it becomes where the property where it's, where it's sold and converted into land the woman owns the guf of the, the land and the husband only has the rights to use it so that's certainly another circumstance where she's going to own something but the question is when she's redeeming it for a mayor and this is really the Shiloh is the husband going to get rights in this Meister Chaney that he inherited? That's the question. You know, that she's going to inherit the Meister Shaney now. If the husband inherits rights, so then, so then it's going to be viewed like she's being put to his stuff. If, 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 she does, if he does not in, if he does not inherit the rights, then it's not, then it's going to be like her being put to her stuff. So this is the question. Now we get to a fundamental question to understand this. What's the nature of Meisr Shani? Meisr Shani can only be eaten in Yerushalayim. Does it belong to you? And Hashem is just saying, I'm telling you, only eat it here. Or is it really what's happening is that as soon as you designate Meisr Shani, it becomes God's. It belongs to the Ebeshila. And I'll Baruch Hu is saying, I'll let you eat my stuff in Yerushalayim. What's the pshat? How do you understand this? Is considered yours, just with restricted restrictions upon what you do with it? Or is the pshat that it's really something that belongs to the Avishtha just he allows you to eat it in certain circumstances? So Ramayor holds Mahesh Roshini's Mamun hakadish; It's considered something that the HaKadosh Baruch Hu owns. It's not the owner. Even though you can eat in Yerushalayim, mayor is saying that you're eating it, you know, from the table of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're going to learn about this. Machlokas, if a person tries to be mekadosh, a woman with most mazoshini, the mayor says the woman's not mekudeshes because he didn't give her anything that belonged to him. According to every mayor. Belongs to HaKadosh Therefore, the husband doesn't acquire the inherited mazoshini from his wife. In other words, normally a husband, when, when, a, when a husband will acquire whatever inheritance that a woman would take in while she's married, he's going to get the rights to use it. But here... Even though the wife has control over the Shani, it's not like she's inheriting the Shani. it doesn't belong to her because it really belongs to Baruch Hu. so therefore the right of usage of the husband normally has does not apply to Shani because it's really Mummon of Actish. So in this case, when the woman redeems the Shani with her husband's money, it's Shani that's being redeemed by somebody else because the money is being used is not the owner. That's the opinion of Rebbe Mayer, and that's why the fifth is not being added. the time I my mu had to do are consistent with their opinion.ney is considered regular property. You just are restricted what you do with it, but you own it. Therefore, kandilei bao, the husband does acquire it from his wife. If the husband acquires it. Shalichos is the of ka'avda. When she's using her husband's money, she's just acting as the agent and she adds a fifth. In other words, that's an important introduction. Whenever an agent would use the money of the owner to be to by Shashenia, you would add a fifth, right? That's, that's, the, that's the money of the owner. So here, once we've done this case, we've explained it, that's a whole different point here. It's the husband's money, no question. He, she took money out of his wallet with his instructions. But the question is, is she being pulled to his stuff? or not his stuff. So it depends. She inherited it and normally you would say that automatically becomes his stuff as well. But if you say that Miser Shani is mammon of Hediot, uh, of hektish, so therefore the rabbanan didn't give that right that automatically the husband gets rights to whatever she inherits including the Miser Shani because she didn't really inherit it. She just has rights of control to it. So therefore it's like a random stranger is being poded, a random stranger's money is being poded, and that's why the fifth is not uh, added. I'm the this moment. Headiod is regular money. She inherits the husband now gets to him as well, and therefore when his money is being used to be poded, the extra fifth should in fact be added. Okay, now we've concluded this discussion about whether or not a woman where a slave has an independent hand. Now the Gemara talks about other ways of a slave going free. Yesterday we learned, how does a slave go free, kesef and shtar. Now we learn more. Tanah, yotzeb, shen That's another Allah. Shein Va'ayin. The Torah says, you knock up the master, and knocks out the, the tooth or the eye, he goes free. There are other things. Varashay, varam, shenam, chozram. Or the tips of other limbs that do, not come back, that do not come back. So in other words, sometimes the body heals itself. But the tips of limbs that don't come back, there's 24 of these, whole thing, you get the fingers, the toes, the ears, the nose um, the gid; these are things that if they the, get severed by the by the master, so then the slave will go free. So it says the Quran, How do we know all this? are written in the that you go free. What is the source you go free for What's the source you go free? for losing the tips of other limbs. So the Gemara says, well, let's compare it. Why don't we just make a simple comparison to the tooth and eye? The Torah speaks about them. What are they? They're not just literally a tooth and eye. They're exposed to the view, right? They're open. And second of all, they they don't grow back once they're destroyed anything which is exposed they it doesn't come back after the, after after it'd be cut off so then then we go free so what the Gemara is saying is that it's mamatzinu. you're able to just compare the two things so the, the quick methodology that the Gemara shoots back is that you're saying whenever the Torah says something you just learn from it that's true if the Torah wrote it once but if the Torah wrote it in two cases so that's two psukim that are coming as one meaning if there's if you could have learned it from one then the Torah could have just written one why did the Torah write two? it must be he's coming to tell you don't learn it to other places. It's very interesting. If the Torah writes one, you learn from it. But if there's Torah writes one and then another one circumstance, then it's actually an indication that you shouldn't be learning from it. So what's the pshat that you're able to say other limbs as well, besides the tooth and the eye? So the Gemara explains, no. Is not just a repetition of the same thing. The Torah had to say the eye and the tooth. Why? Svirichov necessary for both. Because if the Torah only spoke about the tooth, even the milk tooth. What's the milk tooth? The milk tooth is a way of saying um, a baby tooth. So the baby tooth. What if some of the master knocked, uh, knocked out the baby tooth? I once heard this from our funder. It's a very interesting thing. Our funder said that the only organ in the entire body that is uh, that you get like replaced naturally is the tooth. For whatever reason, you have to think about what the significance is that that is, and that's why I said it's called the shein Dachalov. It's a different shein, shein the It's a baby tooth. There's a whole different bria. So someone might say that the baby tooth also gets to go free. Cause Rahman like eye, and has to be like the eye. Meaning to say that the tooth has to be lost in a way that it won't come back. Here, the tooth will come back. Right, you get another tooth, so that one doesn't work because Rechmanai you know only spoke about the eye. I my eye never emo, just as I was created with him, was present at birth. Or has to be created at birth. I so even an adult tooth not because an adult tooth wasn't with you at birth. Chericha therefore it's necessary to say that the eye and the tooth are the two prototypes. So, so there are two different points that we learn from both of them. So now, once we say. That, that the Torah had to write eye and tooth because there are differences about them. So now it's not a Shakespearean bone Catholic. It's not just repeating the same thing twice. So now it comes back, what, what, the answer that we gave before, from the fact that the Torah wrote the by and now that serves as a prototype to teach to any other uh, tips of limbs. Says the Gemara, we're going to come with all sorts of methodologies here. What's the big rule of Klaal Prat? The Torah says something general. And then it says a specification. It's coming to tell you only deal with the specification. Do not apply this broadly. So, the Torah says if the master will strike, that's mash must strike anything. But then it says Shane Va'ayin, which is a Prat, a specification. Klaal Prat, and the Torah says something specific, but then it's a general, but then specific. But what's the Halakha? That we tell us that it only applies to the specification, which would mean Shain Va'ayin. The Torah is actually coming to tell us don't look at these as prototypes to learn to other lands, but rather assume they apply only here so the gemara answer is but then the end of the passage to be free he should be sent away that's another generalization which is you know there's other circumstances so what is it really first is general the master strikes but then it gets specific chain vine but then it gets a again when we say he should send him free so we learn that anything which is similar to the specification just as the eye and tooth are our, uh, our, the characteristics are that they're exposed to view and they don't come back if they're caught. Says the Gemara. But there's another feature that they share, which we don't necessarily apply. There's another thing here, that is which means that it loses its function. Meaning when the eye is blinded, then you can't see a tooth you can't chew with that tooth once it's gone of course we go to the dental wards and and why do we see it's different tell us resume the other wards and let's say the master yanked the beard of the slave and it dislocated a bone in the jaw How do we know that if that bone, therefore, can fall out and the body won't won't grow back? It goes free. How do we know that? And when the Gemara is asking is, is there a function that's lost with that injured bone, with the eye and the tooth? Yeah, that's a pretty obvious thing that's lost. But here, just when a person loses a function, loses some some bone in the jaw, is there a function which is lost? So the Gemara answers, you're right. It's not a cloud, cloud, but it's rather, it's amplifying the den. So this is really technical, technical, how we die. It's not cloud prod of cloud, but rather it's, it would have been cloud prod. And then the Kavshiya Shalchen, was just a, a reboy. It's like an extra new addition. And it comes to change the way we had thought. And it comes to tell us that even things that don't lose their obvious function could still be, um, cause them to go free. Says the Gemara, well, once we're amplifying, you're saying that it's things that aren't really like the shein or the iron. So then, who says that it has to be things that don't grow back then? Even if you strikes him on the hand and the hand got weaker, but it's going to grow back, it will come restore to health. You should also go free. Because once you're saying it doesn't have to be like the tooth or the eye, and you're saying even the jawbone can go free, so why not this? If you hit him on the hand and it's going to grow back, he doesn't go free. So the Gemara says, because Im Kain, if you're going to tell me a temporary loss of functional limb would make him go free. Shein va'ayin ma'hani lay. There's no purpose of tooth and eye. Meaning, then they're not serving as prototypes at all. So what we're stuck with is a, a big paradox on the Joshua. on the one hand, the Torah said shein va'ayin. So we know that has to be teaching us something. On the other hand, the Torah said the Chav Sheyosh as an amplification for other things as well. So that leaves us with a complexity about what, what extent I'm learning from Shane V'ayin and that the Chachamim are explaining to us what we darshen up is that it doesn't grow back. However, the loss of function in terms of that it was doing a specific thing, you don't necessarily need to have. That's the ultimate conclusion says the Gemara Tanarabbana, now we get a fundamental machlokis, which we actually touched upon in Masechus Gitin. The kulam Ebed Yosef is all these, the slave goes free with Sarkat but he needs a get, Shechor, meaning to say it's not automatic freedom, it's a warrant that the, the master now should free you. But you need to be freed. How do you free with a get, Shechor? That's the opinion of Rabbi Shemot. However, not all the Tanaham agree to this. No, it's automatic. You get the tooth knocked out, you go for it. You don't need a yet. Those who decide, the machriyim, machriyim are those who like, decide a bottom line halacha. So in front of the chamin, they said, but retirement holds that you don't need, makes sense for shayn vayyim. Shatara is also Loves are the ones that the Torah says explicitly. So there's no one, everyone would understand. Everyone knows Shane vayyim. Not everyone knows the rabbinic drug that add all 24. so if it was the Shane or ayin you don't need to get shekhar but for the other limbs we assume you do need to get so that people aren't confused about what's going on it's a penalty that the rabbonin made so the gemara says what do you mean it's a penalty made by the rabbonin it was from the pasukah meaning it's not it's not a din it was a jirasha that was made by the rabbonin the rabbonin showed it to us and since it was a jirasha people might not be as familiar with it and if people are not as familiar with it, so then we need, um, we need, we need greater uh, clarification behind it. And that's why we say, you know what? Give it get you. Okay. Now that we understand the halacha, but let's, let's see the reasons behind it. What do we say here? And what is the reason for a that it requires a get? We learn the same Lashon of Shilu Achir, it says, and he sends him to freedom. And by a woman, it says, that he sends her away from his home. V'shtar. Just as that he's sending there away the isha through a divorce, through a get. When it says he sends the slave, it means through a star. I for Rebbe Meir. What's wrong with that? Why is Rebbe Meir saying that you don't need a get? If it, would have said, if it would have said freedom at the end, it would have been like you say. It would have been, and you send free. But it says free, different. It says to freedom, you should be sent away. The Torah wrote it like almost backwards. To freedom, he is sent away to show you that he's actually free initially without any extra action. So by get it says mishel send her away. Here it's to freedom. He sent. So it's more like even automatically the freedom is is happening according to Rebbe Mayer. Says the Gemara. he he hit him on the eye and it blinded him. on his ear and it deafened him. the he goes free. So that's where he hit the limb itself. But negative in a row. Yeah. Now, just to see over here, it's an interesting thing. It doesn't seem that it, um, that it necessarily pops out. right? It doesn't necessarily see that it popped out. The illusion here, the Bray saw, is that he hit him on the eye and blinded him, or hit him on the ear and it deafened him. The point is he's making a direct blow to the limb, to the organ here, and it's losing its function. Now, and it can't be regained. However, negative if let's say he struck a wall opposite the eye and that blinded him, he did something opposite the eye. he did something opposite him and you can't hear any you don 't go free so basically we 're saying that if you strike you have to strike the limb itself you can't strike opposite it and then and then it loses the function you don 't go free. what are you saying It sounds like the the kala is insignificant. What do we mean? It's insignificant. You're not responsible for something by causing a loud, a loud damage. That's what it sounds like. It's all, you're only chayav if you directly hit something. And what's always the big rule in life? That grama, you don't pay for when you cause something. You're not not liable. So let's say you know you incite a snake to bite somebody. You're not liable. Only Bidini Shamaya, but not but not adam. You know, the court doesn't, doesn't hold you to that liability. So that's what I'm basically trying to figure out. It sounds like from here that in order to be liable, you have to like, it has to be that you do it directly to the organ as opposed to, you know, doing something um, just with your with sound that, that would impact. So Mars says, is that true? If a rooster sticks his head into the hollow of a glass cleave, a blows into it. And the sound caused it to shatter. The owner pays. So just to understand here a little bit, One idea is that there's a halacha of tsuroros, where an animal damages with force, but the body was not in contact with the item that got damaged. Like, let's say it kicked pebbles and it, you know, it hit something or something like that. So that's a machlogist hanakama and and sumchas. Where our say that tsuroros, when it's not with the animal's body, but rather with the force, it only pays nezek. So here, presumably, we're going like because it's a force of the animal, not, not its body that, that did the damage. And we're still saying you pay nezak shalot. If a horse neighs or a donkey brays, so based on the sounds break Kalim, even if it's in the house, you know, crazy scenario, far away from the sound, such a loud sound it broke the Kalim. They only pay half. So, pashas, it means they pay half because this is. This is Tzorah, and we're going like the Rabbanah. But either way, whether it's Chetzinezek or Nezek Shalim, that's a machlok, of if Tzorah is Nezek Shalim or but the point is, there is liability when an animal damages another property with the sound. So what we're saying is that our first bride saw seemed to be saying not like that. We seem to be assuming there's no liability when you cause damage with the sound, right? It's only, it's only a liability when... Um, when there was when there was a li- when when you hit the organ itself, here we're saying when your animal does damage with sound, there is liability. So the Gemara explains a shiny autumn It's different when, with a person. A person is an intelligent being, so he puts himself into shock. What's the Gemara saying? That the victim here was a person here by us. He's a slave, so he only got the shock because his mind focused on it on the terror on the terror of the sound or the sight, whatever it was. So we basically say that all the, the mazik did was cause it. He put the sight there, but then the victim kind of like took it in with his own mind. The brain took in the fright and that's what caused him to go blind or to go deaf. Therefore, the perpetrator, the mazik, is only, is only a grummy. he's only causative. Whereas, let's say you, you're, you're, the, the case where the chicken and the rooster is, is making the sound inside of the glass clee and it chatters. So in that case, the, you know, the clee is inanimate. It's not accepting anything, it's just the sound broke it. So if the sound broke it, then that's going to be considered direct. So really interesting idea that sometimes sound is considered direct, sometimes it's considered indirect. If the victim is a person, it's indirect. If the victim is an inanimate thing, it is direct. Okay, the Tanya, this is like it says in Christ from Rav HaVar, someone who frightens his friend, shocks him, and then there was injured, he gets injured from it. Interesting, you know, you go up and you say boo, and the guy falls and breaks his leg. So what's the So what's the halacha? Why it's considered a grumma, Because again, he took the shock to himself. Kate said, how is was this?" If he shouted in his ear and he deafened him, potter, he's not potter, he's not liable. Also, but if he grabbed if a he grabbed the ear and, and he deafened him, if he is liable because there it's considered would be considered more of a direct thing by grabbing the by grabbing him to shout to shout at him. It's still a chiddush because the grabbing isn't the way that he deafened him, right? But evidently, that's still, that's not considered grumma. All right, says the Gemara. He over, Let's say he gets him in the eye, and it gets weakened. You know, he's not totally. He's not totally blinded. He has some vision left. Alshino v'nada, he strikes his tooth and now it is looser, but the tooth is still there. So what's the halacha? In Yachal, if the slave can use them, in other words, you can still see and you can still chew with the tooth. So the slave doesn't go free. If he loses all the function, so even though it's still jiggling in there, the slave goes free, even though he's not completely blinded or he could still have the, 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 the tooth inside, but the function is gone and therefore he goes free. Tani Yidach, a second price. Let's say the eye was already weak. In other words, the slave, for whatever reason, had an injury and he's almost blind. And now comes along the master, and he fully blinds him. Or she The tooth was very loose, and now the master comes, and he knocks it out completely. So does that free him? If he was able to function before, the, before this, then he goes out to freedom with what the master has done. The if, mob, if, if the function wasn't there from before, he doesn't go free. So essentially, the two prices are saying the same thing, that it's about making the loss of function, right? Because in the first price, I see that if I... That if I even if it's still there, but I make it the the loss total loss, then he goes free. The second one is saying that if the function was already lost, and then knocking it out physically doesn't make him go free. So it's essentially the same concept. So the Mar says it's tricha. It was still necessary to say both. Both points that he goes free in both cases, meaning in the first prize he goes free when it doesn't come out, but he knocks out the function, and in the second prize where the function wars there, he goes out when he knocks it out completely. Yes, the first prize Originally, either we had good vision now he gives him poor vision where where he loses the sight, he can't function normally, so he goes free. In the second prize he no even if he originally had poor vision although i would say that he does not go free even though he was able to use the weakened eye maybe a defective eye is not healthy and maybe the torah only says when you're not got a healthy eye so therefore the price had to tell us this in that case um, he goes free, where as long as there was a function before the injury, and now because of the injury, now he goes free. if you only told us the second price, There, at least you, at the end, you blinded him completely. You took him from weak to blinded completely, but you took him at the end result of blinding completely. The when the first price was You didn't blind him completely. Aimalow, he doesn't go free. Kamash and then is necessary. that since Lamaisa, you took away the. The, uh, the function, and therefore he goes free. Says the Gemara, what if the master was a doctor? And the slave asked him, he said, please put some coloration, coloring in my eye. It's like a medication. He asked him to do a surgery, a surgery on his eye. And the master's trying to do good, but what happened? He did a bad job in the surgery and he blinded him. Or let's say the master was a dentist. So he told him to uh, scrape the tooth, and then instead he knocked it out. The slave laughs at the master and he walks out free. So, meaning to say, even if it's unintentional that he's trying to harm him, he was actually trying to perform a surgery, but if he knocked it out, the slave goes free. The post says, and he destroys it. He has to have intent to destroy the eye or the tooth. But if he's trying to do, do a surgery and help, and instead something went bad, then he, the slave does not go free. So, Machloikis, says the Gemara of Rabbana, a Shikh of The Rabbana hold even inadvertent does go for it. What do they do with the pasuk of a Shikh It says, the Gemara of the Chadan, for the Bridesmaid, of her blouse, or Omer, Rashi, or the Mawaleh, Shikh Hasawah. Let's say the Master stuck his hand into the womb of the slave woman. In other words, he's, uh, he's delivering her child. He blinded the fetus in her womb. Potter, he's not responsible. My time, he's destroyed it. He has to direct his, attack, his, attention, his, his, his action onto the eye, and by doing that, destroys it. So, according to the Rabbana, and the Pshaad is the Pshaq is saying, when there's no intent to act upon the eye, your pater. In other words, you know, he's trying to take out the fetus, and he happens to blind him, but he wasn't bachla, trying to act upon the eye. That's where the pasuk is limiting and saying he doesn't go free. But if you're trying to do a surgery in the eye, and then he blinds him, of course he would go free. Whereas the other opinion, the other opinion of holds, even if, even if you're trying to act upon the eye, but if you weren't trying to harm, then it wouldn't go free. Says How does he know both of his halachas? There's both, right? He could have just said with an extra hey, so therefore we learn both. If you're not intending to act on the eye at all, and even if you're intending to act on the eye, but not to destroy it. they don't both? There's one word here, the extra thing from the hey, you don't make such a joshua from. You don't make such, a, such an extra point. What if the opposite? Let's say the slave's eye had been blinded. Now the master can't blind him further, right? He's blinded. He knocks it out of the socket. So now, again, Let's be clear. Previously, we've learned that if you strike the eye and blind it, then he goes free even if you don't knock out the eye. That's what we've been very clear and It was all about function, back and forth. What if he was totally blind, but now you literally knock out the eye? Says the says the, Kemar, the, the 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 slave goes free. Right, My time. What's the reason? And what's what's bothering us? You know what's the difference? Eyes there, eyes not, not there. The function he didn't have anyway. The answer is machus or because he caused him to be missing an organ. And whenever it literally misses an organ, that that's making it worse. But Tana where do we see that even if the function is not there, but missing the organ is a worse state? Because we say Tamasu zakas when you're bringing an animal uh, as a carbon. So what's the general halakha? They're, they're, the gender can matter, right? Certain types of carbonos should either be male. Other types of carbonos are only female. So it cannot have a blemish. When you're bringing a, a bird carbon, it doesn't matter. There's no such thing as gender mattering. And also, there's no issue of a blemish in a bird. Let's say it was the, the, the wing withered, the, the, the leg got cut off, the eye was removed, it still mina short. From the birds, but not any birds. Meaning, what are we saying? if it's a blemish bird it's still good but if it's missing a limb then it's unacceptable so what do we see from here we see from here that even though let's say a blind bird would still be acceptable because it would only be a blemish but if it would be missing the sake then it would be no good So we see it's a de- deterioration It's worse It's a worse condition to be aver, Even though when the aver the was there before when it, when it was blemish That it was still good So we're applying this here to the slave An Interesting susah Very interesting comparison And we're saying a M'chus ever is worse And if it's a M'chus ever, So then we're going to um, We're going to say that, it, that, that he goes free Even if the function had already been missing Before it got literally knocked out